As Jago mentioned, I'm, I'm a husband to one and a dad to three. And for more than 25 years, it was my privilege to serve as an officer in the Met Police. It was, and it is, the best job in the world. My duty and my joy. And as a younger officer, frequently I was called upon to give evidence in court. And every time I took my place in the witness box, there was a very particular promise that I was obliged to make. Taking a Bible in my right hand, I would raise it to shoulder height. And I'd say these words. I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I give to the court should be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So much of policing, you see, is concerned with a search for the truth, for the truth about who committed the crime, about what the cause of death might have been, about where the drug stash is hidden, about when the break-in might have occurred, about why the child might have gone missing and where they are now. And so it goes on. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And as in work, so in life. Beyond the demands of the day job, uh, I would have to say that so much of my life has been taken up with a, a search for an even deeper kind of truth than the salt policing reveals. It's a journey, actually, that I'm still on, searching for the truth about who I am and about why I'm here and where I fit in and whether in fact I matter and what it all means. And I can't help reflecting on the fact that I'm thinking about these things at a time in history where the notion of the truth, the very idea of the truth is being challenged, threatened even as never before. There was a time not very long ago when people in positions and power and influence relied on the dark arts of something they called spin, designing and communicating very carefully shaded versions of the truth, intending to mold and manipulate our attitudes and our choices. But that seems almost old-fashioned now. These days, it appears to me at least that we are faced with the end of truth itself and with the relentless insurgency of outright lies. In 2016, the Oxford English Dictionary made post-truth their word of the year. In 2017, Kellyanne Conway a senior advisor to the American president, introduced us to the idea of alternative facts. Statements and suggestions that aren't facts at all. Presenting a version of reality some way distant from the actual truth. 
in 2018 in undercover news footage broadcast by Channel 4. A man called Mark Turnbull, who was then the managing director of Cambridge Analytica, a firm claiming to have played a key role in a number of elections in countries around the world. He was recorded on tape suggesting that it's no good fighting an election campaign on the facts because actually it's all about emotion. My truth, your truth, anything but the actual truth. We're living in the age of Brexit, of Trump, of fake news, of dark money and deception. We're living in a time of relentless lies. And it leaves me wondering whether any of us actually know what truth is anymore. And it leads me to a question that is as old as time. What is truth? What is truth? I want to take us back a week in time, temporarily, to Good Friday, to a conversation that took place between Jesus and Pilate, the Roman governor, who washed his hands of responsibility for Jesus' fate. And that conversation is a matter of historical record. You can find it in your church Bibles. Jago's going to give me a page number. 1086. Oh, that went loud. Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 28 to 38. And I'll read it to you now. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
What is truth? Retorted Pilate. It's a question as old as time. One of the most important, I think, that any of us could ever ask. But I think that in order to be able to answer it, there's actually another question that we need to ask first. In order to understand what truth is, I think we need to recognize who truth is. Let me take you briefly to an earlier chapter in John's Gospel, chapter 14, and to a conversation taking place between Jesus and his disciples. If you're following, it's at the start of chapter 14 of John. Jesus is speaking, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love Thomas and his questions and there's so much in that passage that we could spend all day and all week and all year talking about. So for now, I'll just focus on one simple phrase Jesus used, Jesus said, I am the truth. Not this is the truth. I am the truth. It's what Jesus says of himself and it seems to me to be one of the most remarkable statements in all of human history. But what does it actually mean? Well, unlike my esteemed colleagues on the front row here, um, I'm no theologian. But I'll tell you what I think it means. It means that in his life and his death and his resurrection, Jesus displayed for all the world to see the truth of who God is. And in doing so, revealed the truth about both the meaning and the purpose of life. I think that he was, by some infinite distance, the most extraordinary person who ever walked this earth. Not just in his time, but for all time. When we look at Jesus, we see the face of God when we watch what he did and we listen to what he said, we see revealed the nature of God. Look, for example, at the way he treated women. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, 
the very first person he appeared to on the day of his resurrection. His attitudes towards women were pretty remarkable by today's standards. By the standards of his time, they were utterly revolutionary. Look at his attitudes towards children. Nothing said about them being seen and not heard. Rather, he said to his disciples, let them come to me and do not hinder them. And he spoke to all the grown-ups in the room and he said, you need to have faith like them. Look at the way Jesus treated the poor and the despised and the marginalized. Those that the world set aside, he embraced. Lepers, the blind, the crippled, the lame, prostitutes, tax collectors. Jesus takes my breath away. In this, at least, uh, I find myself agreeing with Napoleon, quoted by Philip Yancey in his beautiful book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He said this, everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me and his will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He's truly a being by himself. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history nor humanity nor the ages nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare it or to explain it. Here, everything is extraordinary. But there's more. It seems to me that in discovering something about the truth of Jesus, in discovering that he is in fact the truth, I I begin to discover something of the truth about myself. I begin to discover the truth actually that I most need to hear that I am loved, that I am accepted, that I am forgiven for every last thing I ever did wrong and will do wrong. I discover that I have a future and a hope. Six years ago, I fell very seriously ill. I had a nervous breakdown. And it meant that I was off work for more than seven months. It meant that I never uh, was able to return to full operational police duties. And it meant that last year I was medically retired from the Met. I'm way better now than I was then. But the earliest days of my illness precipitated a, a crisis of everything, including my faith. Beliefs that I'd held all my life were shaken to their absolute foundations. I found that I couldn't utter a word of prayer. I couldn't read a word of the Bible. 
the truth is I wasn't able to do very much of anything except breathe slowly in and out and cling on to the edges of life. There wasn't a single thing that I was able to do to earn God's affection or approval. I had nothing to offer him. And I remember lying at home and wondering whether nothing was enough. Enough for him to love me. I remember lying there and wondering if I was enough. The extraordinary, utterly life-changing answer to that question was yes. At the very, very lowest, most desperate point in my entire life, utterly broken and in pieces, he loved me. Completely. And for the very first time in my life, I think I began to understand something of the mystery of grace. The rumor that I am loved beyond measure, just as I am. One last passage from John's Gospel, just a couple of verses in chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. If I'm honest, aged 49 and a bit, I've got to a point in my life where actually I'm less certain of more things than I've ever been before. But there are three things about which I have no doubt. Number one, that in a world that is lost, Jesus is the way. Number two, that in a world that is dying, Jesus is the life. Number three, that in a world undone by lies Jesus is the truth and it's a truth that the world desperately needs to hear and that's always been so but I can't help feeling that it's more so now than ever before look at the consequences of untruth in our society the loss of trust the loss of order, the loss of safety, the loss of identity, and for some, for many perhaps even, the loss of hope. I mean, look at the mess that we're in. But in the face of all of that, the truth retains its unique capacity to set us free both individually and collectively. The truth is liberating. It's powerful. It's dynamic. It's transformational. 
But the truth can also be uncomfortable, dangerous even. There's a quote familiar to many of us that's often attributed to George Orwell. It goes like this. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. On Good Friday, the truth got a man killed. But we must never shy away from it. In fact, we must return to it all the more. I swear by Almighty God to tell you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. His name is Jesus.